Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. What a great day. Great day. We're all wide awake. I don't know how I drew the short straw to speak today. Because you actually got to be awake for this. Right? It's, it's uh, wow. It's one of those days, like, is it not the toughest day of the year to get up? Hey, this for me, I don't know. Maybe the rest of you are better than me, I don't know. And then to make it worse, when you get up, you still feel tired. I mean, I've already pumped in some coffee, which is unusual for me. No, it's not true. Uh, when, when I speak of coffee, I don't ever drink hot coffee. It was iced coffee. So really, it was technically milk with a little bit of coffee in it. Really, that's all it was. It was, you know, so for those of you who drink coffee black, you're way tougher than me, and you're probably awake right now, and I am not. You know, I thought we'd just take a few minutes today and just talk about how terrible today is. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. You know, there's something amazing about today. We all know it's a day that you, you know, turn your clocks ahead one hour. Do you realize how easy that is? I mean, it's gotten easier, right? I mean, you used to have to go around the house. And like grab a clock, right, and pull it off the wall and see it's the wrong time. And, you know, you have to spin it to get it to the right time. And, and so, you know, you had to do that every spot. Now your phone does it for you. Am I the only one that doesn't trust my phone? So I got to set a different alarm on a day like today because I'm Scared I'm going to sleep, and it's a little awkward if I show up late. <laughs> right? I mean, it's a little different if you show up late. You know, nobody's expecting you to speak, so, you know, you, you make it late. It's all right. It's tough. You know, but moving time is kind of an interesting deal, right? I mean, as you can see, today's the day, spring forward, right? I mean, you all got it. I'm impressed, really, because here's the deal. You know, there's always this, this guesswork. Which day is going to be worse attended? Snow? Yeah, you guys did well. Proud of you. Did well. But should it really be that easy to move time? I mean, think about it. Wouldn't it be nice if all of life was that easy? Just turn the little dial on the back and you, you know, move forward, right? I mean, just wouldn't it be great if like all of life, you could just spring forward? Think about it. You want to lose a few pounds? You could get better at a sport or... You know, done in an hour. I mean, look at that. I mean, it's just like, poof, we're there. I mean, think about it. You can get two pair of glasses in an hour or less. 
funny story. I got glasses one time. You know, I'm at the age where I can't see anything. I can't see things up close. I can't see things far away. Well, I, I get a pair of glasses made and I put them on. I'm driving on the road and all of a sudden LED taillights are 3D. I look at my computer and the red is 3D. I went back to the eye doctor and said, wait a minute. Like something's not right here. He looks at me and goes, I've never heard anything like it. I'm like, (laughs) (sighs) they remake my glasses, same problem. I'm like, what am I going to do? He goes, you might try to get glasses that are made just a little bit different. He checks my eyes, everything's good, prescription's good, the glasses are made pretty close and he said, you probably just try a little <laughs> more expensive glasses. That solved it. Same pair of glasses right here. Just no more red 3D. It's just a weird thing. I don't have that problem anymore. But everything we want in life can be gotten relatively quickly except the things that matter most in life. Most of the stuff that really matters takes longer to happen than an hour. A college degree, (laughs) minimum of four years. (laughs) And that's just for the undergrad. Training for anything. It's going to take longer than we want it to. Do you want something, do something really cool like ride across Kansas or get better at a sport? It's going to take practice or training. So you get the picture. Although we really wish we could just spring forward in life, we can't other than this one day a year and then we hate it. We want everything to come easy, but in reality, the best things are accomplished over time, and they're appreciated more as we work for them. So today, let's take a look at a guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a great story of a guy who persevered in the midst of trial, and the mission that God had given him required hard work. It required discipline. There are some things that we started earlier this year, and we've talked about a little bit with the church as well, that this is a year of invitation. Well, that commercial that's showing in the theaters is all about this is a year of invitation. We want to invite people into, well, a relationship with Jesus. We invite them into community with us. We want to invite people into our lives that we could have an impact on them. It's a year of invitation. Would you invite people into your life? And, and so we think about it, some of the things that we've worked towards, some of the things that we've wanted at the start of the year, right? Well, some of them we've already forgotten about. Some of them we've given up on. 
some of them were starting to grow tired of waiting for the results. The workouts that we've been doing, well, we haven't seen the results we want. And maybe the results are just around the corner if we don't give up. The time we've been praying for a significant situation in our lives, now is not the time to quit. Nehemiah will show us some of that and more. Let's start at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Now, Nehemiah receives a report about Jerusalem, about his hometown, and the Jews that have returned there from captivity. They've been in captivity for years, and some have gone back and resettled and all those things. And Nehemiah hears the report, and he responded by sitting down, weeping. And we're told for days that he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. What's important to note here is nothing happened. (laughs) Nothing changed. Things didn't get better. All of his praying didn't change anything for the people of Jerusalem. Yet. We are not going to study this prayer. The the, the prayer is an incredible study. It's an incredible uh, lesson in prayer and just entrusting God and and asking God for help. But we're not going to study the prayer, but we're going to look at a, a moment of that prayer in verse 11. It says this, Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today. By making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Look, look, this is the confidence we have when we pray. Is that God hears us. Even when we don't see anything happen. Even when we, we, we don't see anything take place. God hears our prayer. And sometimes we just need the discipline to keep praying. Keep this part of the prayer in mind as we now look at Nehemiah chapter 2. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. Look, (laughs) Uh, he had reason to be terrified. Right? I mean, 
the, the, now if you understand, okay, when we talk about the prayer of, of Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 11, there's about four months have taken place between this and Nehemiah chapter 2. So for four months, Nehemiah has been praying, he's been fasting, and asking God for help. And as he steps in the presence of the king, which he was doing for four months, he had never let his face show that he was saddened. But as he's in the presence of the king this day, he allows his face to, to show what's been going on internally in his life. And the king takes note of it. And when the king takes note, Nehemiah is terrified. Why? Because kings were known to do rash things. They would just make a decision, and that decision could be, well, final. (laughs) And for Nehemiah, in that moment, he's not sure what's going to happen. And Nehemiah, in that moment... In verse 3, it says, But I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asks, Well, how can I help you? And again, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. So again, his heart is to, to, in that moment, to pray once again. Even though he's been praying and fasting, and he's, he, in that moment, he's saying, Lord, help me. I replied, if it please the king, and you're, if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? Just a thought here. I have a feeling he underestimated how long he'd be gone. I'm just guessing. When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it please the king... Let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. But when Sanbal, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. And when we look at this account of Nehemiah, We see some incredible things that God does for Nehemiah and for the people of Judah and for Jerusalem. There's a couple things we can learn. The first one is this. 
when he was fasting and praying, he allowed God to formulate a plan for getting Jerusalem rebuilt. It's interesting to me that when Nehemiah is in the king's presence and the king says, what can I do for you? He has a plan. He knows what he needs. He doesn't completely know how it's going to get done, but he knows what he needs, and he has an idea. He's like, look, look, king, I need to be gone for a little while. And again, I'm thinking he underestimates how long he's got to be gone. It's a little bit like us. Have you ever, like, been working on a project? And you get a phone call that says, hey, when are you going to be home for dinner? I usually estimate I'm going to be home sooner than I'm going to get there because I just think I can get more done. And it's not going to take me as long. It might just be me. It sounds like Nehemiah may have had the same issue. He didn't lie to the king. But I'm sure he didn't tell him he was going to be gone that long. Because as we find out, he's gone 12 years. (laughs) I've never been that late for dinner. But I have been late to dinner. So Nehemiah, I'm sure if he tells the king, you know, I'll be gone 12 years. I'm sure the king's not letting him go. Because it appears to me that Nehemiah is valuable to the king. Nehemiah seems to be a person that the king likes to have around. And he has experienced favor. Nehemiah has a plan when he's in the presence of the king. But it doesn't limit what he gets to his plan because God shows favor. I mean, he, he has a plan, he has an idea of what he wants, and the king goes further which is really nice of him. Nehemiah probably didn't think it was going to take as long as it took. Twelve years. But we often overestimate what we can do in the short term and underestimate what we can do in the long term. When we consider our lives, we often want to get more done in a short window than what we can And we actually don't think we can get as much done as we can get done in the long run. We we tend to think that that we got to get it done today. We we often approach life more sprintish than marathon. We we, we think that we've got to get this done now. Doing the right thing over time matters. So I thought a little bit, for some of you, this is just review, but for some of you, physics class is, well, it's kind of a new deal, right? So physics class for a moment. Um, Momentum. The equation goes like this. P equals M times V. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's momentum equals mass times velocity. And so, you know, 
it, it, you don't really care, do you? <laughs> Neither did I. <laughs> That's why I had to look this up. <laughs> so if something is moving, there's been a force that's made it go, right? Somehow there's a force that makes it, and, and momentum is mass times velocity. So, so the mass of whatever it is, not necessarily weight, but mass, and it's kind of similar, but kilograms per meter squared or something like that, right? Is that something like, is that right? Okay, so anyway, so, it, you know, not that I'm asking my child, did you notice? I, you know, who knows physics way better than I do. But uh, momentum on a bicycle is, you know, mass times velocity. So the speed at which I'm traveling, and so there's momentum there. So if, if I'm not acted upon by another force, I'm going to keep going, it, but we know that there's other things going on, right? Yeah, okay, you don't care. <laughs> this isn't physics class. But there is a lesson in this. That... that we have momentum in our lives as we are following God's plan in our life. And, and I know it's not a physical... Well, Dave Ramsey has another equation that's all along lines of momentum. Right? His momentum theorem, Dave Ramsey, if you're not familiar with it, it's momentum equals focused intensity over time multiplied by God equals unstoppable Momentum. That, that, this is Dave Ramsey's theory towards, you know, and it, it's again dealing with financial things. And, but, but honestly, it's not just that. If we will focus intensity over time, multiplied by God, we're going to equal unstoppable momentum. Look, we often want change to happen, but we struggle because we don't see changes happen fast enough. We, we want the diet to result in changes in days, not weeks or months. Now, let me just give you an interesting example. My dad, if you don't know my dad, my dad looks about like me, less gray hair. <laughs> Awkward, but that's the way it works. My dad, when I was still living at home, was diagnosed with high cholesterol. So overnight, our diet changed. We started eating a lot of turkey, a lot of chicken, not as much beef. We ate healthier. Interestingly, nothing changed. I mean, eventually, a few years down the road, my dad lost like 10 pounds, didn't lose any for years, lost 10 pounds and his cholesterol drops. Now he was on meds and all that, but it got low and, and it was just this thing of doing the same things over and over again, over time, eventually, he was riding a bike and he, you know, my dad in his 50s rode from Wisconsin to Kansas on an antique bike, big wheel, little wheel, that whole thing, Wisconsin to Kansas, um, one thing on a, you know, a bike that's got a lot of gears, it's another thing to do that. Like, that's crazy. 
<laughs> right across Kansas. Now, that, that's more normal. <laughs> but all of a sudden, things that he had changed resulted in change. But we don't often like to live with that kind of focused intensity over time to see results. We actually want it to be short intensity. (laughs) Change happens now. We want the workout to result in the muscles like the guy in the Geico commercial. Have you ever seen the Geico commercial? The two guys in the gym talking, talking about... uh, you know, those of you who haven't seen it, you'll have to look it up. Just YouTube, you can find it. But they're basically in the gym, and they're just lifting weights, and they're talking about insurance. For those who work for other companies than Geico, sorry. I apologize. But it's funny. And the one guy is just normal, like, you know, I joke with people all the time that I've never lifted a weight, which is actually true to some extent. But, um, but they're just lifting. So the one guy looks like me, and he just keeps working out, and he just, nothing happens. The other guy's working out, and he just gets huge in 30-second commercial, right? That's really what we like. We want that. But the same thing is true spiritually, right? We want this change to happen in our lives. But we struggle with that same intensity over time. We, we think that one prayer, although it can change things, we want one prayer to suddenly change our lives. We want one day reading the Bible to suddenly make us a scholar. We want huge change in the short term. But the reality is, it's going to take time for God to work in our lives and to make us into what he wants us to be. It won't happen overnight. Accomplishing something of significance is a product of consistency over time. It isn't the result of a quick change. Many things that burst into the scene disappear just as quickly. Let's go back to Nehemiah. See, Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem. And he gets to Jerusalem and he doesn't begin rebuilding the walls right away. He gets there and three days later he starts to tour the city. And he tours the city secretly. He doesn't tell anybody. He takes a few people with him. He he gets on a donkey and he goes and, and, and they go around the city looking and inspecting and he does it at night and he doesn't want anybody to know and he looks to see what needs to be done. See, because to that point, he'd only heard what it looked like. But he had asked God to help him. So he tours the, the city walls and he looks and he inspects and he goes, okay, I've got a plan. And Nehemiah then goes to the people and he masterfully motivates the people to begin the work. But then, he's also able to keep them focused on the task of rebuilding the walls. Now, it happens in an amazingly quick time frame. right? I mean, the work that's been done, and, and, and that's kind of an interesting wall, but I mean, look, they did the work 
without the use of caterpillar equipment. Right? I mean, you didn't have these cool cranes and stuff like that. Like, like that's easier. Right? And, and, and you could understand that they could get it done. But they get it done in incredible moments. Right? It takes them less time than you would think it would take them based upon what they've got to work with. But in the midst of adversity, Nehemiah keeps the people working. He's able to encourage them. The rebuilding of the walls took work. You know, it wasn't just, and and, and forgive me for the way this sounds, but it wasn't just a spiritual experience. Spiritual experience matters, but it also matters that work is involved, right? It wasn't just, I'm going to pray and the wall's going to be rebuilt. Yes, we have to pray. We must pray. We, We have to be people of prayer. I'm not saying we shouldn't be. I'm saying we have to be. But if we want everything to happen just by praying, that is not what happened with Nehemiah. Nehemiah actually had to work, and the people had to work. Here's the deal. Work is actually a spiritual experience. I know for some of you, you're like, nah, uh-uh, you ain't got my job. Work, as we read the scriptures, should actually be done as an act of worship, right? Our work ought to be an act of worship. It is a spiritual experience. It is something that should be reflective of who God is. So again, Going back to Nehemiah, it's this moment of recognizing that I have to seek God. I have to spend time in his presence, allow God to formulate a plan, and then step into the work that he's given me to do. So, if we want to put that into the equation and we look at it in in life situation right now, what does that look like? It looks like this. For the person that you're praying for and you want to see come to faith, you have to pray, allow God to speak into your life, and then there might be some things to do to see that happen. And at some point, it is going to involve speaking. I realize that there's this cool saying, Something along the lines of preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. First off, if you research that, not even right. Number two, you have to use words. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Right? You have to use words. People are not going to accept Jesus because they look at you. Some of you are like, what? <laughs> they take one look at me and that, you know, coming to Jesus. I could scare them into coming to Jesus by looking at me. But they're not going to, look, you have to use words. There's words must be used. We have to preach the gospel. Now again, I'm not saying preach as in preacher like me. I'm saying, but you've got to share the message of Jesus. Tell the story of who Jesus is. It has to happen. It's a year of invitation. We're going to have to invite people into Jesus. Not necessarily the church. Yeah, we want them to come to church. But the truth is, we need to build the kingdom 
And the way to do that is to communicate the message of Jesus. You study the first century, what they do? They told the story of Jesus. They told the story of Jesus and crucified. God is able to take the very things that we bring to Him and make more out of them than we can do on our own. There's work and there's discipline involved. Right? It's going to take consistency. I think one of the greatest impacts on people's lives is consistency or if you want to give it the spiritual term, faithfulness. If we're faithful over time and people see consistency in our lives, it brings credibility to the message. There is work involved in anything significant in our lives. Look, what part of Nehemiah's equation do you need to focus on? What part of the equation in your life needs some work? Is it the prayer part? Are you praying? Is your first thought towards God? When faced with difficulty, when faced with something, is your first response to call out to God, which was Nehemiah's response. He gets a report, he calls to God. First response, call on God. First response, prayer. Is that the only response? Absolutely not. It's the first response. It's then, in the midst of the praying, to ask God for help. Look, Lord, I face this. Help me with a plan. How can I do this? Then, it requires action. So then we have to do something, right? Do what God wants us to do. And then it requires discipline, a consistency. We must keep doing what God has told us to do over time to see what God wants us to do. And, and there's times, and I'm just telling you, I understand that there's some frustrations in life because we don't see the results we think we ought to see. And oftentimes, we're tempted to give up. Whether that's in people or stuff, we're tempted to give up. Tempted just to throw it in. Go, all right, I've had it. I, I, I give up. It's never going to change. Never going to happen. Never. Do not quit. Look, I tell a story often, and I'll use a bowling illustration as we close. I often tell a story with bowlers because I had a friend. We, we bowled together as high school kids. His parents owned a bowling alley. He was really good, way better than me. In fact, he went on, and I can show you the clip on YouTube, but he went on to bowl in professional events and was on the televised finals. Um, but at, in high school, he averaged about 200. Averaged 200, and it was 1980-something, so that mattered. Um, you know, today, technology, game's gotten easy, whatever. So you don't care about that either. But anyway, Ron and I are bowling in the state championship. He's my doubles partner. First game... He shot a 97. He could have shot 97 left-handed with his eyes closed on a normal day. For some reason in that game, he was 
terrible. His dad was so mad at him. (laughs) But I tell this story often because it's never give up. Because the next game, he shoots 279. Do you know anything about bowling? That's 11 strikes and one nine spare in the middle somewhere. Doesn't matter which frame, it just, you know, somewhere in there. 279. 97 to 279. (laughs) Never give up. Right? Even in the midst of struggle in a team game, never give up. Because in bowling, you know, we've experienced that. Never give up. In life, never give up. Why? Because God is still on the throne. Because God still answers prayer. Because God is at work in our lives. And because God can do anything. Never give up. Now, bowling, uh, not that important. Life matters. And God is part of the equation. And would you understand that God, in any equation, can change an equation and He can change the results to what should not be. So you can have focus intensity over time multiplied by God, and He's going to do something amazing. You can have life that's going south, and you could be struggling, but when God steps in, He can change the equation, and suddenly what was 1 plus 1 does not equal 2. It goes to 10 or 20 or whatever, because God can do more than we think He can. It all comes down to trusting Him in the midst of it all. Did Nehemiah really think he could go rebuild walls? What was his job description? <laughs> Can I get you a cup of coffee? <laughs> when, <laughs> I laugh all the time. My father-in-law helps me do and I say it this way, he helps me do stuff on my houses. He has for years. <laughs> really what that means is, um, do you want something to drink? <laughs> He's doing plumbing, electrical. I'm like, can I get you something to drink? <laughs> He's helping me. <laughs> That's one of the funnier things I've ever heard. I hand him a tool. You want to see even funnier, have him work on my cars, right? I'm helping him with that too. <laughs> Yikes. God is doing the work on our behalf. He is at work in those situations, and he is able to do well beyond what we think we can do. Nehemiah was unqualified for the job. But God gave him a desire and gave him skill and gave him motivational ability, gave him everything. He gave him everything he needed. He enabled him to do the work and get it done. It's the same God that's still active in our lives today. He wants to do the same for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for your incredible work in our lives. And Lord, as we look at the things that we are wanting to see done 
in our lives. Some things that we've started and then stopped. Things that we're asking you to do, but we've sort of grown tired. Lord, would you re-energize us today? Lord, for anybody in this room that's walked in here and they're not even sure who you are, God, I pray that you would make yourself known. Lord, for those that have been overcome by discouragement, Lord, would you encourage them today? Lord, for those that have gotten to the brink of giving up, Lord, would you give them faith? Would you give them hope? Would you give them trust in you once again? Lord, for somebody in this room that they need you to speak powerfully into their lives. Lord, would you do that right in this moment? Would this be a beginning point for them to walk in a place where you will be their center focus? That you will bring them hope and you will bring them joy. Lord, I ask if there's anybody in this room that's not a follower of you, they've never trusted you with their lives, God, I pray that just in this moment they would recognize that you are here, that you love them, that you care for them, and that you want to help them. God, speak, I pray. Lord, for those that have walked in today, and they need you to speak life and encouragement, Lord, may that be done in this moment, in this instant, and may it be the thing enables them to live their lives with discipline. Walk out the things that you've spoken in them. God, that you've designed them for. That they wouldn't give up. God, that we would be able to do more than we think we can. Because you present and helping us. Lord, thank you for what you do in each of our lives. Lord, that we will carry on to completion the things you've started in us. Lord, that we will allow you to work in us. We will see great things take place. I thank you. Lord, have your way in these closing moments. Lord, do what you want to do. Maybe walk out of this place differently than we walked in. In Jesus' name, amen.